Welcome back to the Bolton E-Bikes podcast, where every week you get to learn something new about electric bikes. It might be from me, and it might be from one of our awesome guests. So today I have Rick Barbazat, who is a local here in Nevada County and one of my good customers. So I get to see him often in and out of the shop here. Let's get into the episode and learn some great things about Rick, what he's done with his e-bikes, some of his experience in the past with electronics and have some fun. This is episode number 15 of the Bolton E-Bikes podcast. It's always fun to have a guest here in person and somebody that I have talked to over the last few years, actually, uh, about electric bikes and see them come in and buy different parts and e-bikes and do different things with them. So today I have Rick Barbazat, uh, who is local here in Nevada County. So thanks for being on the podcast today. Yep, you're welcome. And I know that your experience or hobbies or whatever you want to call it, work experience with electronics goes to more than just electric bikes. That's been very obvious as you've come in and out of the shop because I feel like you bought the first bikes and then it was like, oh, how does this work? How does this work? And then next thing you know, you start building things and (laughs) doing your own stuff. So where did your, I guess, interest in electronics and that sort of thing start? Probably when I was pretty young, probably about uh, eight years old. And then, uh, what threw me was there was uh, two light switches on a hall that control one light and I uh, wondered how that possibly could work. So I, I had to get my interest up and, and dig into that and find out. Then with that, uh, building amateur radios or shortwave radios and then going on up into electronics and, and, and a, a very background and working for Sun Microsystems and a bunch of other companies and, and Kaiser Aerospace and Electronics. So I got into, into, the, into the electronics business pretty early. Okay. And so what sort of projects and things did you work on in those companies? Well, the first one out of school was uh, Kaiser Aerospace and Electronics, since I was involved in the design of the uh, F-16 display panel. Okay, awesome. And and also the F-18 heads-up display for the pilots. Ah, yes. I wish I had one of those. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we had the displays with the F-18 and and, uh, other aircraft, A-10s, F-4s, and so on. So Kaiser built all the electronic displays and everything for those aircraft. Okay. Well, that's pretty cool because those, when those things came out for the military, that was like way ahead of the time as far as what anybody else had. Right. We were the first one to have multi-function switches where they could be changed by programming what was on the screen. Prior to that, all the switches were for fixed for changing volume or changing brightness and so on or changing functions. But now you could, you could assign a function to any button on the outside of the display and it can be reprogrammed to be anything you want it to do. Oh yeah. Now, now we kind of take that for granted. Your, your cell phone in your pocket can do more than that. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So uh, definitely some high tech stuff, but that sounds like it was pretty interesting. Probably a lot of fun, probably things you can talk about nowadays that you probably couldn't at the time. Right. Well, most of it was (laughs) was only a secret required for that. Other stuff later on in my career, I had to have a top secret clearance, but uh, not for that early stuff. Oh, so we can't get you to talk about any of that on the podcast, huh? Uh, well, <laughs> um, we could say that it had to do with, uh, anti, uh, you know, submarine, uh, capabilities, you know, my first job in the Navy when I joined was an anti-submarine uh, warfare technician. Okay. Then I went from that into an anti-warfare, uh, operator and flew on P2s and P3s. That's right. And, uh, you've, you've told me some funny stories, uh, at times you've been in and out of the shop about some of your submarine, uh, or aircraft related experiences. Right. <laughs> some, so, some fun stuff. How did you get into the electric bike things? When did that start? 
Probably about four or five years ago, and I uh, I first uh, saw this ad for electric bike, and I thought, well, that, that's a good way to go. I'm getting older because I'm now 72, and it's a little more strenuous to you know, go up these hills with a regular bicycle. I went ahead and got a mountain bike kit for my first one and did that, and then almost killed myself trying to push <laughs> push it uphill because I ran out of power real fast. Oh, no. <laughs> so it didn't have the, the strength and the power to go up the hills in Grass Valley for sure. Okay. So you tried building something first. Uh, well, the first one, I, I saw you out at the fairgrounds and uh, you were giving away an electric bike. And I said, I have to have that. <laughs> I, <laughs> okay. didn't, I didn't win, but... Uh, That's but, right. But, you did uh, tell me about that. But I found out where you were located and uh, bought my first bike from you as a mid-drive uh, fat tire bike. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So that was one of the earlier bikes that I would have built. So a few years back, I was selling bikes with the, the mid-drive motors. But instead of having them all built, kind of prefabricated overseas to my specifications at that time, I was actually building them one at a time, right. which now I could never keep up with. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you were the, one of the lucky few, I guess, who got uh, one that I built early on. So that's right. awesome. Then my wife saw how much fun I was having and I had to get one for her. Of course. <laughs> so we bought one from, from you for that. Okay. And then uh, the next one I said, I'm going to see if I can build one. So I, the third one I built. Yeah, that's right. And that's when you were like, came in and you wanted a frame and a motor and wheels right. and i don't remember all what parts uh, you ended up buying yeah, everything but. from scratch right yeah <laughs> okay and then the, the uh then you had a real good deal on a uh a direct drive 29 inch kit and so i ended up going out and buying a uh, a cheap uh, bike from uh target for three hundred dollars <laughs> they had 29 inch wheels and put that kit in there and 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 now have that running around okay and i don't think i've even seen that bike obviously i've seen some parts that went on it right <laughs> but i don't think you've been by with that one no but okay so you built some things bought some things built some more things and uh having fun with it what bike do you ride the most uh probably the mid-drive because it uh, it's got the best torque and the largest range of uh, speeds with the gearing and stuff okay uh, where the direct drives you know you you kind of locked at about 30 miles an hour max on that one yeah so it cruises along nicely but right. uh not as much power going up yeah. the hills around here. It needs the torque for these hills and also especially off-road where I go four-wheeling uh, and stuff like that. Uh, that's right. And you, you are into four-wheeling and that sort of thing. Remind me, have you taken the bike to some of the four-wheeling events with the fat tires and shown it off to some of the people driving around their Jeeps and different things? What do they think of it? Well, they, the first time they saw me, saw me, they said, Hey, uh, you're going to hurt yourself. <laughs> you know, first of all, actually, they said, you're going to break something. And they like, pauses and then says, well, I don't mean the bike. <laughs> so, but yeah, it, it does real well off road and, in uh, in rough terrain. So, uh, up on the Sierra Trek trail, which is, goes from Cisco Grove up to uh, Meadow Lake. It's about 11 mile uh, trip has five main winch hills and, uh, multiple vehicles are rolling over and having problems on it and stuff. So, yeah. And it makes it through that without a problem. That's awesome. I have not ridden that trail on a bike, um, but it's not too terribly far away from here. So I feel like I need to do that one of mm. these days. Is you got to make sure the water level's down because it won't go through the deep water. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. so we'll wait uh, a little bit uh, into the summertime. It's right. It's still cold up in that area right now. I've been right. Going over the hill lately. Uh, went uh, over to the Reno area and surprised somebody that won one of the bikes recently. Uh, instead of shipping it, I just showed up at his door <laughs> with yeah. the bike and it's cold over there. So I'll wait yeah. a little bit to go up into the mountains and go bike riding. Yeah. Well, PG&E shuts the water down at, um, uh, Fordyce reservoir, uh, in uh, August for about a, uh, a week during this event. Okay. So that you could go through there at that time. Got it. So there's um, a, 
there's a very specific time frame. Right. This is why we got to talk to experts like you who are into that and know yeah. where to go. <laughs> well, awesome. So you've got uh, the mid-drive fat bike mm-hmm. that you ride around on. I know you've uh, for sure told other people about your electric bike hobby. So you have uh, some friends and family who have uh, e-bikes now too. My brother. So he's he's got his and he had to get one after I had mine. He had the, one of the cheap curry ones also and we went to the beach one day and uh, he dumped it about three times <laughs> so <laughs> and i didn't dump it once with a fat tire on sand so it was uh, definitely he had to get one okay so then he said oh that uh, that works a little bit better okay so what are your uh, plans going forward are you just uh, keeping things maintained and trying to keep everything running well I, i'm intrigued with all the uh, settings and stuff on the electric bikes and what they can do there must be 30 plus settings that you can adjust with the control panel and everything else it's just you know it's intriguing when you look at all the electronic and the and the scientific and engineering detail you can do in these things. Yeah, for sure. On a podcast that would have come out a couple of weeks prior to when this episode will come out, you know, we talked about uh, some of the more advanced things like uh, flux uh, weakening and just different cool things more advanced controllers can do that, you know, even these uh, controllers I'm using don't even have the capability to do, but the technology is out there. But most of the e-bike manufacturers are very locked down. They don't want you to change anything. What do you think about that? Well, engineering is going to advance, and if they don't keep up with it, it's going to be taken over by somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> in, in the business with, uh, with Sun Microsystems, we make computers. And the big thing was that aren't you afraid that the Chinese are going to copy them or Japan's going to copy them? Uh, the problem is that it takes them at least one to two years to, uh, to copy our capability in engineering. By that time, we've got new products. And uh, for instance, one of the sun systems I worked on, it was $20,000 for the unit. And uh, Japan came out with one for $10,000 two years later. But by that time, we had advanced to one that was three times faster and only $5,000. So, I mean, so they just can't keep up with the technology curve. It's changing too fast. That's a very good point that I hadn't really thought about. I have had some experience in the past in other business dealing with patents and things like that. And what I got out of that whole experience was that most of the time, there are definitely exceptions, but most of the time trying to patent your design or your device and use that as a protection against other people competing with you is pointless. Right. <laughs> You're better off to just build the product and sell it and do it before anybody else does and just stay ahead of them. Right. Um, Keep advancing the technology so that way they're always behind the curve. Exactly. Yeah, I, I like that. And uh, the way I've been trying to do that is, okay, what's, let's try and find the components and e-bike parts and things that are available now and price them appropriately. And I'm not going to spoil it yet because I don't know exactly when it's going to come out. Um, but I've been talking to one of the manufacturers overseas who's developing a new bike and I've seen photos of it and I'll have it in my hands here soon. And it's pretty cool because it has some extra things that other e-bikes don't have right now that I think people have been asking for. And sometimes people that are doing the DIY stuff have made it work on their own bikes, but there's not a production bike that has these features on it. Uh, And I'm really excited about it because not only is it going to have these cool things, but it's going to make the bike specced way better than some of the other options on the market, but also be like a thousand dollars less. I was doing the math this morning. I was like, oh, it's going to be better than X brand of bike in every way but $1,000 cheaper. Right. <laughs> so why wouldn't you buy it? <laughs> right. Uh, and by the time they copy that technology, you'll have some new technology coming up. Exactly. Then, then yeah. we'll be working on another project. Right. I, I probably enjoy the 
development of new products more than anything. And uh, I wish I had more time to do that, but it's, it's a balance. Mm. Can't have uh, time and money to develop new things if you haven't sold what you already have. Yep. <laughs> so, well, good. I, I like that. Um, any other uh, thoughts or things? What sort of places do you ride your e-bike? Uh, any fun stories or experiences you want to share with us? Well, uh, Pismo Beach, we're down there in the sand, and uh, Rufifio Beach down there. Um, Sierra Trek, of course, up in, uh, in, in the Sierra Mountains up here. Uh, going up Donner Pass over in that area. Uh, also, Death Valley, we've been oh, over okay. there. And because now the national parks say electric bikes are allowed in, in uh, national parks before there was kind of a questionable area. Right. So, so Donner Pass is, I don't even know off the top of my head, you probably know what the elevation is there. 9,000 at the top. The Meadow Lake Trail or Sierra Truck Trail we ride gets up to about uh, 7,000 feet. I had someone uh, mention the other day, I won't mention the comment exactly because. I'm trying to be nice or polite about it, <laughs> but somebody was like, well, I live in such and such state and it was on one of my YouTube videos and they're like, you need at least this many volts and this many Watts to, to have a bike that can do, you know, anything that can handle the Hills we have. Uh, and I looked up the state and I was like, the tallest hill you have, and I'm calling it a hill, not a mountain was like 4,000 feet of elevation. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got more than that here in California. Right. Um, yeah. You can <clears throat> go for a ride and climb several thousand feet yep. if you got enough battery to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, well, my brother, you know, the last time he went through his air truck trail with his four wheel drive Toyota, he blew three tires. Oh, and, no. and uh, he's so concerned about blowing a tire on this fat bike when we go up there. But I said, no, you let the air pressure down like you're supposed to. And we've never had a problem with the fat bike tires. They just go right over everything. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of take it easy and just kind of crawl over everything and up the hills and, yep. and, uh, use your brakes wisely on the way down. Right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you said death Valley. That was probably interesting. Yeah. The Furnace Creek area, you can know where that is. So I haven't been there. Okay. You would think since I'm here in California, I should have mm-hmm. gone to death Valley at some point in my life, but mm-hmm. I have to admit that I haven't been there. Yeah. You can't take the bikes on the hiking trails, but there are a lot of roads up there and, and four and wheel drive trails that do allow them on. Well, that's good. I like to see more and more trails where e-bikes are allowed. If they start cracking down and not allowing them, then that's no fun. Yep. <laughs> I, I think it's getting better, though. Like you said, it was questionable about the national parks. And then it was, oh, I'm trying to remember what the last thing they said was. The national forest is a different department or whatever within the government. So they haven't made exactly the same ruling as the national parks. But it sounds like there were people working on it. Yep. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the day when they just say, Yes, e-bikes are allowed, and hopefully you can take a class one, class two, class three e-bike, you know, and not just limiting it to like the class ones, because they're not that different in my opinion. I think one has a 20 mile an hour limit, one has a 20 mile an hour limit, but has a throttle. Yeah. I think your speeds on, on those kind of trails is not going to be any different. And, and most of us are not going crazy ripping up trails on these things. We're just getting out there, having some fun. Right. Exploring. That's what I like. Yeah, I think you've, uh, you do a lot of exploring right around here locally, too. It seems like a lot of the times that you come into the shop, at least when the weather's nice, there have been in the past a bunch of times, you just show up on your bike. Right. <laughs> you don't drive over here. <laughs> right. <laughs> to check things out. Take, take the back roads and come over. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's fun. What about uh, batteries? Since you're kind of out adventuring and exploring off the beaten path, I think you've done some extra things with your batteries rather than leaving them stock to get right. more range and power out of them. What are you running on your bikes now? Well, uh, initially I had a 48 volt, uh, 
1400 watt pack and uh, it, i figured i could go about 50 miles but then these hills around here if you don't do any pedaling use the throttle to the max it was good for about 27 to 28 miles okay uh, typically uh, on level ground uh 20 watts of battery energy will take you uh, a mile so but doing that calculation i should have gone 50 plus miles but these hills are so steep around here <laughs> you're not you're getting a little more than half right it's too easy to use the uh, the throttle and not pedal when you want to go fast so <laughs> So you bumped it up. I think you had uh, one of the bikes, you had added a bigger battery on a rack on the back. Right. That was the, the big one, the 30 amp, um, uh, 1400 watt. Okay. And then, then I uh, got a couple of batteries from you, 52 volts. And they're the, uh, trying to think, what are they, 900 and something watts? Yeah, I've had uh, a couple of battery options over the years. So I don't remember exactly which one you've got. But yeah, like mm -hmm. a 900 watt hour, maybe even a thousand watt hour, somewhere in that range. Right. So, and, and it does real well. And it's a lot lighter than the old, uh, the first lithium battery bike because it was a lithium iron uh, uh, yes. uh, uh, phosphate. The, uh, the so, Life PO4 right. sort of variant, which I've, I've used uh, some of those in the past. The Velo Mobile that I have in the back of the shop, that's what I had on it because I bought the battery for that several years ago. And what I had read about them at the time was, you know, they're longer lasting in theory. The lifespan mm -hmm. should be longer, more, more cycles out of it. But I was surprised how much heavier they actually mm -hmm. are. So even though they're a lithium battery, the, not all lithium batteries are the same as far as weight no, and a, power there's draw. There's a lot of variations, right? Yeah, there certainly are. It's interesting, too, that Toyota, you know, in the hybrids they have, they don't use lithium batteries. They use nickel cadmium. Right. But they're heavier, but they don't care about the weight so much because it's in a car. You're not on a bicycle. <laughs> Exactly, but, but the big advantage is that the uh, the lifetime is, is is much longer than a lithium battery as far as having to replace it. Yeah, I've had that uh, experience because I have a one electric car now and one hybrid, and the the hybrid I've got the I bought the car used and it's got quite a few miles on it and battery seems perfectly happy. Yep. <laughs> so so and Toyota tends to sell their hybrid technology to the other manufacturers once it gets outdated, so they're advancing all the time. Right, and so they uh, they they'll, they'll sell their one or two year old technology to to the other manufacturers in the <laughs> in the U.S. and then they've got something better in the, in the works at the time they do it. Right. Yeah, I looked at an electric truck the other day. I was very tempted to buy it, but I wasn't quick enough because <laughs> you don't see them pop up very often. It was a Ford Ranger from two thousand, and most people don't even know that they made an electric truck at that time, but. From 1998 to 2000, so for three years, they made in very small quantities and, and only in certain states. It was kind of an odd project that they did. But the 98 and 99 models all had lead-acid batteries. Mm. And so if you find one of those, basically, it's, it's guaranteed you need to replace the batteries. You, you might go a few miles out of it, <laughs> but they're going to be dead. But in 2000, they actually switched to the uh, nickel metal hydride batteries. And uh, the one I was looking at, so it's 20 years old now. And the guy said uh, he was still getting 50, 60 miles of range out of it every mm -hmm. day. And brand new in 2000, they advertised it as 65 miles on the highway. So that means, yeah, he's definitely lost some range. But after 20 years, that's pretty impressive. Yep. Because um, <laughs> battery packs of the cars aren't cheap. They're probably five to 6,000 or more, you know, to yeah. replace it. So like an engine change. Yeah. And so, so now I, uh, I found there is actually a guy up in... Oregon, who's taking these older trucks and rebuilding them with brand new lithium packs because they're so much smaller and lighter, you can fit a lot more capacity in there. Mm -hmm. And then you can get better performance. You know, then you've got a 150 mile range little pickup truck 
which if you want to buy an electric truck, you actually can't buy one from anybody new today. Yeah. So you really don't have any options. There's things coming out, but uh, they don't exist yet. So And you can baby the batteries with smart chargers so they last longer. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting to see how things are, are shifting and changing. And uh, the e-bikes are, are going really well. I, I always encourage people now, like, and uh, you can give your thoughts on this, but I feel like, yeah, the technology is always changing. But where e-bikes are at today is really good. And you shouldn't wait for something better to come out next year because you're going to miss out on a year of riding e-bikes now if you do that. Right. <laughs> and I'm, the ones I have, they're going to last a long time. So maybe it's not the latest technology, but still it got some use and more use to come. And I think with what you've done to your bike so far, do you have any reservations about just uh, modifying or changing things in the future if upgrades do become available? I'll probably uh, build another one or <laughs> use the newer technology, right? Yeah. <laughs> To me, that's the advantage of having a, an e-bike that's not totally locked down with all the components because if a new battery comes out or something, so you install a new battery on it and you're mm -hmm. good to go for a few more years. Or if a new motor comes out, well, you swap the motor out. And if they're not all proprietary connections to everything, um, then you don't have to worry about it. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Bionics brand, but several years ago, they were kind of one of the earlier e-bike kits that you could buy that I would say took off pretty well, but they had a battery and controller setup that was very, very much locked down. So when the battery died, and don't quote me on this, but this is my understanding of it. I haven't worked on one because of the horror stories I've heard <laughs> about working on them. What I hear is when the battery dies, the BMS, the circuit inside that battery, basically says it has some sort of signal in there that says the battery's dead. So even if you replace all of the cells with brand new, the battery still won't work. Yep. <laughs> it basically kills itself and it's very difficult to fix. And the way the controller works, to my understanding, if you get a new battery and wire it up to that controller, because it's not a Bionics battery, it won't work. Yep. <laughs> so you're just out of luck. And I, and I don't know if they picked back up manufacturing. It was a couple years ago or so they basically went out of business. And so everybody who had one of those, it was big paperweight at that point. Yep. If it died, it was kind of, it was dead. And, and I heard there was somebody who's kind of trying to bring that company back alive and bring it back. So maybe there'd be support still. I don't know if that actually happened. I'll have to go look that up. But that's just one example I've heard of somebody who locked it down so much that it's like, well, why would you want to buy something like that if it dies one day and you, you cannot fix it? Right. <clears throat> Especially if the company goes out of business. Yeah. Yeah. I don't <laughs> like that idea. <laughs> I'm not planning on going anywhere <laughs> anytime soon. I hope Bolton e-bikes, uh, the brand is around for a long, long time to come. And the way things are going, I think it will be. But that being said, I still want people's bikes to last. I'll have parts and pieces available. Anything you're excited about uh, coming up as far as electric bikes go, new designs, suspensions, anything at all you're looking at? Well, I'm, I'm contemplating making a uh, three-motor uh, vehicle. Okay. We have a front drive and a rear drive and also a mid drive. Have all three hooked up to it and see how it performs. <laughs> oh, okay. So you're not talking about three wheels. That was the first thing I, that popped into my mind, rather. So you're thinking a front hub motor, a rear hub motor, and a mid drive. Yes. <laughs> that and, sounds. And, and then if anything fails, you can still get home. Okay. So are you, how are you going to go about that? Are you going to have different batteries and different controllers? Are you going to tie anything together? Well, the battery could be feeding all of them. That's not a problem, but you need a controller for each or to have a dual controller to be able to run two, a front and a rear at the same time. 
but there, you might be able to get away with just two controllers, one for the mid-drive, which is built inside the mid-drive motor, and then use a, a dual controller for the front and rear hub. Okay. And then the battery itself could drive all three. It right. doesn't, doesn't matter where, you, where it ties in. You could, yeah. Yeah, so are you, do you want to do that for the redundancy aspect of it? or? Well, also, I think for off-road, it's kind of nice having all-wheel drive. Okay. So in the cases in the sand and stuff where you really need that, it bogs down the back, you have extra power to pull yourself through the turns. Right, right. Okay, so that uh, I'll be interested to see that if you uh, <laughs> build something crazy like that. Yeah. I've, I've got some uh, mid-drive motors hiding in the back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you need some parts for that project. Yep. Love to see what we can do. But the technology, you don't want to put too big of a motor on the front because if you have telescopic forks, you're going to, you're going to do a head plant. Yes. I, I have been very hesitant. I actually had somebody email me just this morning saying, Hey, I want an all wheel drive bike, but I want a thousand watt motor up front and a thousand in the back. And, uh, I'm hesitant to figure out the right fork to do such a thing because I've, I've seen forks break from having too much power up front. Yep. <laughs> we don't want to do that. Yeah, the all-wheel drives you have right now are what, a 350 or 250 watt in the front? Correct. It's yeah. a it's a 350 watt hub motor in the back, mm -hmm. and then we have a smaller 250 watt, watt motor up front, and then it's a rigid fork instead of a suspension fork. Mm -hmm. So that eliminates 90% of the problems you could have. I feel like 250 watts on a front rigid fork is going to be totally fine we're never going to have one of those snap from right. too much power <laughs> and i think for a rigid fork you could go up to 750 watts and and the right fork you could probably go with more mm -hmm. um, but if you throw suspension into the mix that starts to complicate things mm -hmm. see if you, if you throw a chain on the mid drive motor is inoperable you still have the hub drive in the back and the front so you can still go places yeah that's uh one of the things I have a mid-drive bike that's kind of the bike that I normally ride when I go for a ride. And that's the risk is if you break the chain, you can't pedal right, <laughs> and you can't run the motor. Right. Uh, if you got a hub motor and you break the chain, well, you can, you can still use the motor to get around. And if the motor dies, you can still pedal to get around. Right. So you've got a, a backup system there. So I always make sure in my saddlebag, I've got a few extra links for the chain mm -hmm. and then I have a chain breaker. And I've never had to use it, but that's probably because it's in the saddlebag. Yeah, I carry the same stuff. In fact, <laughs> I carry a whole separate chain without the master link in there, so I can just pop it on if I have to. Oh, okay. I hadn't thought about that. That's a smart idea. That makes it a lot easier, I <laughs> yeah, bet. because otherwise you're playing with a chain breaker and trying to get everything apart and everything. <laughs> <laughs> right, which is what, normally what I do. Yeah. Uh, but I'm trying to pack light, too. Not, not that it matters. <laughs> that chain isn't that much weight, so, I mean, right. it's a quick, simple fix. No, I like that idea. Just carry a chain and then... If you've got the the master link and it's set up for the right length and everything, mm -hmm. if it ever breaks, you just pull the old one off. Right. It'll just fall right off. You know, right. Pull it off. <laughs> right. And then just slip the new one on, and you can and then, pop those master links on by hand. Right. If you if you put uh, stress on the pedals, it'll pop into place, right. lock into place. You don't need a tool to lock it in. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a great idea that honestly I haven't hadn't thought of. <laughs> I'm gonna have to re recommend that to to those that have the mid drive models as a option for breaking the chain there's a another guy i'm thinking of here locally who has a mid-drive bike similar to what you have and if he gets a flat tire he brings the bike in to have the the tire changed so he really doesn't work on his bike at all um, and in fact he called me one day and said i'm stuck 
Can you save me? (laughs) So I grabbed my uh, chain breaker and and an extra chain, and I I drove down to where he was. Uh, Thankfully, he was not too far from where the shop is right here, and I I put his chain back on for him (laughs) so he could keep going (laughs) uh, and make his way home. But uh, I think if he had a spare chain, he could probably do that and pop it back on. Yeah, I I broke a mid chain or a mid drive chain on mine one time, but it was my own fault. I had done uh, sitting in one spot. I made about three gear changes without Uh-oh. without moving and not having the motor spin to the right gear. And then I maxed power, and it was uh, not in line with the with the gears, and it just snapped the chain right there on the spot. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, and the other person I was just mentioning, he did the same exact thing once. He was mm-hmm. coasting down to a stop sign and shifted down through the gears, but wasn't pedaling or using the motor. And then uh, either when the or maybe it was a signal, so either the light turned green or there was no cars. When he went off, he hit full throttle and. And that mid-drive has enough power, it'll just, if things are sideways, it'll just snap it right, right. off. <laughs> so it, it certainly can do that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I, in the last, I don't know, maybe two or three years of riding, I've only snapped one chain, and it was actually on a hub motorbike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was standing up on the pedals and actually trying to get some exercise and pedal hard up a hill with just a little bit of assist, and I, I managed to snap a chain that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, oh, see, you never know what's, what's going to happen. Yep. But... Uh, <laughs> I still had my chain breaker. <laughs> I was able to put it back together and uh, I was actually on my way to work. So mm. got it back together and kept riding to work. Yep. <laughs> so, well, awesome. Any uh, suggestions for those uh, listening? Well, I feel like most of the people who are listening have e-bikes already, but things they can do to make their rides more enjoyable, more fun. Yeah, you're on flat ground, and I think a, a, a low-power 500-watt is probably fine. Up here in the mountains, you need probably a 750, and then you can program for more if you need more power. Mm-hmm. But uh, but if you're off-road in, in the rough Sierras and mountain trails and stuff that, that are rocks and boulders and everything, uh, a mid-drive is the only way to go. <laughs> so you just, the other ones just don't hold up. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. I think that's uh, good advice. Picking the right bike for the type of riding you do. Or if you do different types of riding, just uh, just get a couple. Yep. <laughs> well, I, my wife has one, and I have three right now. So, oh, <laughs> that's usually what happens. You buy one, and then it's like, oh, well, this one's a little bit different. I, I feel like I've been pretty good. I just have one. Yep. <laughs> At least there's only one that I count as mine. You know, all the demo bikes that I let people test ride, I may borrow one of those every once in a while. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, but those aren't mine. Those are for the shop. That doesn't count. Well, awesome. I appreciate uh, having you here uh, in person and coming here to the shop and, and being on the podcast episode. It's always fun to hear people's stories and how they got into electric bikes and what sort of fun things they like. There's so many different aspects of it. Some people get enjoyment out of riding. Some people like building things. Uh, some people like uh, adding accessories to their handlebars and putting GoPros all over them. <laughs> you just never know. Thanks again. Once again, this is uh, Rick Barbazat, a local customer here. And who knows, if you're local around Grass Valley, you might see him riding around on his e-bike. Or if you stop in the shop, uh, you might bump into him one of these days. So thanks again for being on the show. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. That was episode number 15 of the Bolton e-bikes podcast with Rick Barbazat, a local customer here in Nevada County, California. So happy that he is having fun with e-bikes, and I think he will be for many years to come. Now, if you're new to the podcast, make sure to go to ebikepodcast.com. Not only can you sign up for my weekly newsletter where I notify you when new podcast episodes have been released, but after you do that, you're going to get a separate email 
showing you how to enter to win an electric bike because I just love giving bikes away as much as I possibly can. So always doing that. Once again, that's ebikepodcast.com. Now, if you've already been listening for a while, I do, of course, love those five-star reviews. So make sure you go to Apple Podcasts or your other favorite podcasting app that you're listening to right now and make sure to leave a nice five-star review for Bolton e-bikes. Thanks again for listening. I will talk to you next week.